The federal government no longer fears we the people. The political elites in Washington assume that they have all the power. The power to control what you think, what you should believe, and how you should act. With few exceptions, the mainstream media no longer reports to facts. They simply spread the propaganda provided to them by those that wish to withhold the truth from the people. It's time for our voices to be heard. It's time to hold them accountable. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Murray Edwards and this is The Washington Effect. This is part two in the series of The Battle for the Minds. How the government and its minions are doing everything possible to brainwash, persuade, and fabricate the messages that they want the American people to accept. On this episode, Educational Chaos, Ph.D. Stanley Ridgely, author of Brutal Minds, The Dark World of Left-Wing Brainwashing in Our Universities, joins me. And as you may have determined by the title of his book, we're going to discuss what's going on within the collegiate establishment to persuade college students to think and act in certain ways. Stan, welcome to the show. And if you would, take some time, introduce yourself, and provide just a little bit of background. Well, thanks a lot, Murray, for uh, having me on your show. I do appreciate the chance and opportunity to talk with your with your audience. Uh, my story is uh, lengthy. It's not very interesting. I, I'm a uh, former military intelligence officer. I have my Ph.D. in Soviet studies strategy. I've taught in a number of places around the world, uh, Russia and Colombia, Spain, Singapore, and, and China. And um, I'm now teaching at uh, Drexel's LeBeau College of Business. I teach in the uh, management department. And my bailiwick, if you will, my bailiwick is strategy and competitive advantage, entrepreneurship, and the technology innovation management. And the book Brutal Minds is the product of about six years of research. It began as a completely different book. It was in the bailiwick of business and management and how critical theory and neo-Marxism was penetrating uh, our business schools here in the United States and degrading what I think uh, the quality of our business instruction. But in the process of this, I discovered through a period of time of following the bibliographic trail, uh, a, a different book emerged, one that was driven by the research. And the book that you have in your hands, that you have, 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 uh, have read, that tells the tale of brainwashing in our universities is a really tragic tale. And it's one of, uh, it's the real, the real expose. It's a, the real contribution to what is actually new in how we think of the university. And I'm delighted to have this opportunity to talk about this with, uh, with your audience. I appreciate that. I've read through your book and as bad as I understood it to be, you shine a light on issues that I doubt very few folks realize. You know, we know that free speech or open dialogue is suppressed on campuses. And in many locations, they preach capitalism is bad. Socialism is the cure for all our ills. And then they warp the understanding of our constitution in ways that we've not seen before. What I'd like to, to go into a little bit, Stan, is what have you seen with some of your research and how do or when students get to college? Because as I mentioned uh, in my last show, that moms and dads aren't necessarily getting what they're paying for. And their their child will go to college and they think they're going to get a wonderful degree in something and come to find out that they're having to pay for a course that basically teaches the music of Taylor Swift, like is what's going on in, in at Texas University. You know, and you understand that how is that important for somebody's in a career? Uh, so 
you know, you, you talked about uh, certain things, but to me, it, this truly sounds like there's psychological warfare going on with inside the universities. Could you dig into that just a little bit and explain uh, what you've seen from your research? Sure. This book is not a, a, a listing of outrages, as we've seen so many, so many books in the past, of, oh, this professor is so bad, this professor's bad, here's a professor watch list, et cetera, et cetera. I, I try to get beyond that and to, to break it down to show that the structure of the university today, its bureaucracy especially, its faculty not so much, is the source of our problems, the source of what I call the brainwash. I do not use this word uh, lightly. Um, what we see in a, in a brainwash situation is the behavior modification and psychological manipulation of someone designed to change their belief system. It's three stages. It's unfreezing the current belief system, changing it, and then refreezing the new belief system. It's not primarily faculty who are doing this. Faculty are, you know, my, my colleagues are, are great, uh, generally speaking, the traditional faculty. There's some outliers out there, eccentric Twitter celebrities who are, uh, who say hateful things. But the primary villain here we're talking about, Murray, is the bureaucracy, primarily student affairs, which is supported by education schools. Education schools are the source of so much that is wrong with higher education. And as you know, secondary and primary education, because these are the people who train the teachers. Now, there's a two-pronged effort here. So education schools train the secondary and primary school teachers, and they also train the uh, in graduate programs, folks who go into the bureaucracy into the university. Uh, they train them in these higher education programs, advanced degrees in student affairs, student, uh, educational leadership, education management, higher education management, uh, and that sort of thing. Well, these courses are basically all the same, and they are all sourced from the same noxious ideology that we've all become very, very familiar with, and that is critical race theory. That is neo-Marxist, crypto-Maoist, Paolo Frarian theory. And these graduates don't go out into the to the world to, to fulfill their, their dreams and their aspirations. They come right back into the university as student affairs bureaucrats and functionaries, where they immediately take up residence in the university and begin to run what is called a co-curriculum. Now, I know that probably many of your listeners have never heard of the co-curriculum. Every college has it. Every university has it. We have the curriculum where I teach, physics and chemistry and history, philosophy, that kind of thing. Over here, we have the co-curriculum, which is a fake curriculum, a para-fake curriculum taught by fake instructors. Some schools even offer a fake transcript. St. John's offers a fake transcript. Um, I believe it's Rutgers offers a fake transcript. And these this co-curriculum is all ideologically lockstep and sourced from education schools. These are not even faculty. Many of them are just bureaucrats teaching at the behest of the administration workshops and seminars and caucuses, that sort of thing. And this is the source of what you described uh, earlier with uh, your friend whose, whose daughter has come home and, and has completely changed. I hear this all the time. A student who goes off to college um, is well-grounded morally, uh, uh, spiritually, intellectually, comes home six months later and the parents don't even recognize them. It's like a, this is a different person. There's a specific reason for that because freshmen, especially freshmen, are targeted by student affairs in their orientation programs and their messaging that goes on 24-7, workshops, caucuses, discussions, difficult dialogues, you know, build uh 
bulletin boards, dorm uh, room, or I should say dormitory uh, educational programs, all of them have the same lockstep left-wing ideological message. And they are taught that, number one, the, that they have been betrayed by their parents, that what they've been taught about the social world just simply isn't true, that they are now given access to critical consciousness whereby uh, their parents are imbued with false consciousness. You, Murray, I, uh, Stan, uh, we have false consciousness. We are unable to peer into society and see the contradictions of power and privilege. Now, this is very intoxicating for a young person away from home for the first time to have what is purportedly bright people telling them, welcome. Welcome into the world of, of uh, hidden knowledge that we're going to share with you. And they'll teach them a whole new vocabulary, a vernacular, that uh, filled with neologisms of about unpacking uh, reality, uh, transgressing and interrogating uh, the uh, reality to uncover the truths of, of emancipation. Well, when the person comes home, student comes home, uh, this person is really a different uh, person and is really antagonistic to, to their parents. This is the core of the problem that we face on our college campuses right now. And it's a terrible problem. And in Brutal Minds, I show how we can, uh, with by uh, enacting certain countermeasures, we can overcome it. Is that being driven by an administration? Is that coming from departments of education being pushed down into the college system? Because we've got the private universities, we've got the public universities. Uh, it seems like the private universities seem to be even worse so often or than some of the public universities now they all take government yeah. funds we know that but is that message thought process being driven uh from a higher source i guess getting down into the schools and the universities and now it's, it's drifted down into the k-12 i mean we have seen where crt which was supposedly mm -hmm. just to be a, a co collegiate curriculum, I guess you might want to say, is now down in through K through 12. And of course, a lot of states are fighting back on it, especially in at that particular level of education, because it is warping uh, and changing the mindset right. of, of children as they go, you know, go into second, third, fourth, fifth grade. We had mm -hmm. a situation here in our state where a 10th grade English teacher at a public high school uh, was teaching CRT. And she put out the curriculum. She used some curriculums from Miss, from Michigan State when she put it yeah. out. Well, that school was not supposed to be doing anything along CRT. And lo and behold, she yeah. was. And the school administrator, the school superintendent, said that she did it off the cuff by herself. I know there are groups out there who push this agenda. But who is the mainstay, I guess you might want to say, of pushing this? Is this coming from the larger teacher unions, unions across the country, or is this actually being something that's driven by, uh, say, the federal government? Well, it's a multifaceted question. I'm going to start by saying let's explode that myth that CRT is not somehow in the secondary and primary schools. Yes, it is. Uh, are they teach actually teaching young students CRT and how to ap apply it? No. They are the recipients of the critical race theory. In other words, the teachers have learned how to apply it, and they are applying this, treating students as either victims or villains, as either um, good or evil, as either oppressors or oppressed by virtue of their skin color. That's the fundamental aspect of CRT and what is actually happening in our primary and secondary schools. Why are they doing this? Because teachers have learned 
this in education schools, uh, especially why are school boards so impervious to reform? I can tell you right now, the folks who sit on the school board and who imbibe and embrace this theory, they're not there to listen to parents. They are there to impose this doctrine. Um, the listening to parents at a school board meeting is simply to allow parents to blow off steam and give the illusion that something is going to happen. They're not there to change anything. They're going to pursue this to down the line to the wall. Okay, we have to understand that we have to replace these people. These people are not interested in compromising. They have they have this access to this hidden truth that is denied to you and me. Now, uh, now to, to move to the uh, higher education level and who is pushing this? Well, about 20 years ago, education schools, which is, have always been the kind of the bottom feeders of, of higher education, they're the least respected academic part uh, institution in the uh, in higher education, uh, and they tried to find a way to influence the rest of college. They got tired of this uh, role. And so they said, aha, let's create graduate programs, graduate degrees to um, equip people with the skills necessary to increase education schools influence in the university writ large. So they created graduate programs in student affairs, educational management, higher educational administration. We'll give these advanced degrees and then we will create jobs for these people in the university and colleges nationwide. And so we have this uniformity of, of ideology, and I'll tell you in a moment why it's a uniform ideology, that is then spreading and becoming diffused throughout our education system, our higher education system. And these folks want to do more than just uh, you know keep the pizza hot and make sure the sound system works do more than dorm room assignments. They want to be educators just like the faculty, even though they're not. And so they created this co-curriculum where they can then exert influence on higher education. Well, how do they do this? I mean, why are all the education school programs lockstep ideological, like I've said? How is that possible at places as disparate as Duke and, and say, California, Berkeley, uh, Alabama, University of Florida, up in Vermont? How, how, are, how are they all the same? Well, this bureaucracy of student affairs people, let me interject here. I work in academic affairs where we have a multiplicity of viewpoints, such as, you know, we have, I teach in the business school, we have economics, we have philosophy and history, chemistry, that kind of thing. Over in student affairs, there's one political perspective. And I'm telling you what this perspective is now and why this exists. These bureaucrats all are members of off-campus clubs or guilds or professional associations, two of them. One is the ASPA, the other is the NASPA, ACPA and NASPA. What do these clubs do? Why are they important? Well, these, this, these are places where the ideology is perfected, it is brewed, it is far left, it is crypto-Maoist, it's Marxist, and there's no disputing this. I and mean, this is what they're proud of this. Why are these clubs important? These clubs, ACPA and NASPA, set the standards for education schools nationally. They set the they set the standards for the graduate programs in the education schools, which create the degrees, send the student affairs people back into the university bureaucracy, and then come back right back around into the clubs. And so we have a circle of vice of these three entities that I described in in brutal minds. And that is why we have this lockstep Marxist ideology. Why is, is this ideology so pervasive in education schools, you, you ask? Is it why, is it communist? Is it, is it Marxist? Well, yes, it is, because the primary theorists of, uh, critical pedagogy are Henry Giroux, Michael Apple, Ira Shore, 
Paulo Freire, all self-professed Marxists. This is this is not a dispute. They say they beat the judge. This is this is what we are. Well, well the uh, the educationists could came up with a, a solution to the dilemma of selling Marxism to to the American people. You can't say, hey, we're going to craft our nation's education system based on a model developed by Karl Marx. You, you can't say that. You can't do that. We have to find a front man, just like a, a gangster has to find a front man to launder his, his dirty cash. Their front man was perfect for this. His name was Paulo Freire. Uh, he's a Brazilian educator, Was a, became a Marxist early in his career in the 60s. And in 1970, he published a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. This is a, the nearest thing you'll come to a, uh, a, uh, a Bible for the, for the education schools. It is the third most cited book in social science, uh, uh in, in the country. And he is offering crypto Maoist, uh, he was a great admirer of Mao Zedong's educational system, a great admirer of the cultural revolution, which killed about a million and a half to two million of its own people. And so this is the person that they have utilized to say, oh, no, 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 not Marx. It's, it's Frere. It's this fellow with a gray beard. He's a, he smiles a lot. And uh, he is the, he is our model for this. And, and Bell Hooks is another one of the Marxists who has influenced this. So this is the source of this educational theory. It is critical pedagogy. It is the idea that we, the educationists, are privy to critical consciousness. We can peer into the contradictions of our society, whereas you, Murray, you, Stan, you, you can't do this because you have false consciousness. And this is what your kids are taught when they go to school, that they're given, this is very intoxicating for them as well, that, oh, yeah, we're going, come on in, welcome into, your your parents are are, are old, they're ancient, they are, they, they are adhering to the old model. What we're giving you is new, fresh, and different. And really, it's just bitter old wine in a, in a new bottle. And this is, uh, I can talk about the delivery mechanism that makes it even more intoxicating in a moment. But that's primarily who is driving this engine and, and why. Well, the, the, the effort to evolve the thought process of a whole generation I mean, we've we've seen it. It's been going on for 20, 30. You probably know better than I I do. It's been going on for 25 or 30 years, if not longer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's become even more prevalent uh, over really over the last three or four years. And, you yeah. know, currently now when there's no restrictions being put on at all, it's stunning the amount of, of, uh, of what this is that's yeah. occurring to the young folks. And as it drifts down into the, the, the lower generations or the younger generations, we have a situation to where I'll call us the gray hairs. You know, once we're gone, we're going to have a group of young men and women who, uh, unless they are abnormal in the sense that the, the colleges think they ought to be, there won't be any conservatives left. There won't be anybody left to think that, well, you should earn, you should, you know, you're based on your merit, based on the things that you do. That's what you should be judged on. Not because, as you said earlier, uh, you're part of a group that's been oppressed for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So therefore, this group over here is the group that oppressed you. And that's what's going on. Uh, in, in the high school systems right now, I've seen it. I've been into some of the schools that they'll pull kids over to the side and says, well, this is the way you should think because you're part of this group that oppressed this other group. So right. therefore, you should feel sorry for them. And this particular group that's been oppressed is going to go up like we have right now with this push for reparations. I mean, we've got situations where people who were never 
uh, affected by some of the things that were going on believe because what they've been taught and what's being spread across all the colleges and the school systems right now that you deserve something simply because at one time somebody in your past was uh, oppressed by that and that's what's causing some problems i mean you used a term in, in i can't remember exactly what chapter it was in thought reform programs you know is this part of the situation where they get a bunch of kids together, a bunch of students together, and as you said, this group that circles around, they graduate, they go out, they come back. Uh, right. Some now are graduating and getting into the corporate world now. And you're finding with DEI and ESG, you know, some of the mentalities that they've been thought they've been taught is now flowing into their mindset. So they're warping not only the collegiate they're also warping the corporate world. And it's a full-fledged battle for all of us to mm -hmm. push back on that. But is this thought reform program something that is actually created and run by the school systems, by the collegiate system, or, or am I a little off base on that? No, actually, you're, you're on point. I'll give you an example of what we're talking about here. When I say brainwashing and I say brainwashing programs, I mean it. I mean that literally. I mean, when college kids come in, well, let me revert to, to communist China. You know, we have those pesky individual rights that we still have to, to worry about. The communist Chinese have never really had to worry about that. And so they engage in what is called coercive persuasion. They have, they have a shortcut. They do the very same thing that American cults do and American universities do. Uh, they just do it more quickly because they don't have to worry about uh, violating someone's individual rights. In brain, when I refer to brainwashing in the United States, there's only two places that it actually happens. One is with American cults. The other is on the American college campus. American cults, such as the Unification Church, the, the Moonies, okay? Their mantra is peace and unity, and they attract and seduce young people to come into the cult with the, with the, uh, with the uh, idea that they're going to be part of this new brotherhood and sisterhood of peace and unity, and who wouldn't be seduced by that if you're a young person who is, who is searching? So the important thing first is to, to, to not say, here's what we're really going to do. We want you to simply be a part of something larger than yourself, and uh, we're going to seduce you. Now, Richard Delgado, who is that interesting fellow that is at the University of Alabama, his name is forever tied to critical race theory. In his previous incarnation, he was a lawyer in, who was exploring the intricacies of cults and how they would recruit people. He said this, and this appears in Brutal Minds. He said that the Unification Church was very skilled at dividing out the people who were most susceptible to the cult message and getting rid of the, uh, the the naysayers. When they would get off the bus at the uh, suburban area or the rural area to have their weekend retreat, the uh, recruiters would watch the people getting off the bus, the students, and some of the students would look, uh, oh, middle-class white kids, you know, oh, oh, looks so wonderful, open-minded, oh, look, oh, it's wonderful. They would be, these are called sheep. They would be moved into one area. Then the other group of people there are streetwise folks who are skeptical, like most of us should be, you know, kind of looking like, what, what's what's going on here? Something here doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, doesn't smell right. Well, those people are called goats, and they are shepherded off to the other side. The goats are given a perfunctory program, and they're put on the bus to sit back to town. That removes any of the problem people who might cause trouble during the recruitment process. Where Then you have only, you have a nucleus of people who are highly susceptible to the cult message. Well, how do American colleges do this sort of thing? Just this way. 
the number one, well, first of all, I have manuals that show people, instructors who are non-faculty, how to go about doing it. Here's an example of one of the manuals right here. It's called Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice. It's cut, this is from 1997. It comes, it's come out in four editions all the way up to August of last year, 2022. It tells you how to run a brainwash. The, uh, three, uh, the three stage process that I mentioned a moment ago, the unfreezing, changing, and freezing. They call it this. They call it defending surrendering and transforming and what they do is they bring students in to as a group and they try to put students at their ease to make students feel like uh, oh we can trust it's a trusting supportive environment um to answer questions that they wouldn't otherwise answer in fact they have students play games and these are not real games this is not cornhole competition it's not ultimate frisbee these are revelation or indoctrination games i should say interrogation games one is the privilege walk now, you may have heard of this. The privilege walk is used universally used nationwide. Students are brought into a room. They're asked to stand in a line and hold hands. Then they're asked a series of questions. Uh, and if, if you answer yes to a question, then you step forward because that means you have privilege. If you say no, it means you step backwards because you don't have privilege. And at the end of the game, there's a visual representation of all the people who supposedly have this privilege and people who do not have this privilege. But what they've actually done is you have answered a series of personal questions about your family, about yourself, about your friends, about your beliefs. And that's all on record. They've got this now. And they will use this information against you to show you how privileged you are and how advantaged you are and how undeserving you are of what you have. Um, that's how you know, putting people at ease and, and, and it, how it works. Let me quote to you from the manual itself. And you can tell me whether this is brainwashing or not. One, we put students at threes. Use low-risk self-disclosure and interaction in the early stages to establish a norm of self-disclosure. If the environment is perceived as supportive, a person's defenses may be permeable. Now we move into the defending. We're going to attack your belief system. We're going to uh, prepare it for for uh, changing. We're going to attack your sense of self. We're going to attack your sense of identity. Students undergo challenges to their belief system in an environment that, of course, it is supported because it's fake trust. Moving into the changing section, students are presented social justice theory. The process is, quote, confusing, disorienting, and frightening. Students feel out of control without known boundaries or familiar ground. They may experience strong emotions such as anger, resentment, and betrayal by those who were supposed to tell them the truth about the social world, very much like your your friend. Um, a new set of beliefs in the third stage becomes home base for interpreting experience and creating meaning. The past is now reinterpreted and reconstructed into a new frame of reference, end quote. Now, those are quotes from chapter four of this book, Teaching for Diversity and Social Justice. And it's not the only book. I have I have about 200 books in this genre of how we can, meaning we, them, can exert and impose this brainwash onto college students. Will it work for everyone? No. But the ones who are most susceptible, the ones who can be, have their belief system or their sense of self and identity dislodged and uh, their belief system changed, they become long-term um, acolytes for this, for this sort of program. You may have heard the term doing the work, doing the work of anti-racism. Well, that's part of stage three of trying to get students so involved with their new belief system, they don't have chance to reconsider and consider what has actually been done to them. Now, this is this is incredibly serious, and uh, and that's what Brutal Minds is all about and how we have to stop it.
Well, it's, it seems like it's even extended even further now because over the last, especially the last two years, we've got a, a group that represents about 4% of the overall population in the country. And I just saw, and I'm talking about the LBGTQ family, where they have now got, seems to have in the college ranks and, and what somebody does on their own time, I, you know, that's their own business. I don't care. But what they seem to be doing now is pushing this particular mindset into fragile young minds. And there was just a report the other day, Brown University, over 40% of students there now classify themselves. And this was right out of the report. It's queer. Now, I don't know that to be a fact. I'm just reading the report. It just seems like if taking that particular mindset even more so because we've got a, a group of individuals now that have just become uh, violent when you go after their particular group. And like I said, they only represent four or five percent of the overall population, but the rest of the population now is being held accountable to be I guess courteous to them, and I'm courteous to anybody. I don't care who they are. But if you say anything wrong, you use the wrong pronoun. You use the wrong set of terms. Then they rain on you like there's no tomorrow. And so that's, to me, that's also part of not only from an educational standpoint, but from a social standpoint, what they're attempting to do in some of these colleges is get some of the, the young men and women who might be just a wee bit confused on some stuff and really force them to or look into their social life. And now we've got a group of young men and women who are just so royally confused that it's going to take a while for them uh, when they get into the real world and understand that it's not quite what you were told in that four-year university. When you get out and try to get a real job, they're going to be held accountable for it. And then they're going to feel I'm an oppressed person because this particular corporation doesn't understand, you know, my well-being and the way I feel about things. Am I sort of on track there? I think so. Uh, I think there's a there's a lingo that is kind of a, you can apply to every generation that comes through. And the lingo that I'm hearing uh, from this particular cohort, uh, the lingo of, uh, of fragility. It's almost like a psychotherapeutic type of language here where they're always talking about self-care and, and mindfulness and vulnerability and um, uh, microaggressions and that kind of thing where the, their feelings are what is most important. I will interject to say that this type of uh, aggressiveness that we see with this latest political movement was I saw a witness it myself and my wife had a, the unfortunate uh, incident at the uh, Moms for Liberty conference here in Philadelphia two weeks ago where she and her, her uh, uh, vice chair were surrounded by uh, activists, we'll call them, uh, and intimidated by these activists, the two women by about 10 of these, uh, these, uh, I'm assuming that they're trans activists, uh, getting intimidated, getting right up in their faces. And, and that it finally until the, till the, till the police, uh, intervened, I was not, I was not present at the tail end of that. 
Um, and uh, so, so there's an aggressiveness that goes far beyond tolerance or acceptance or anything like that. But there's a kind of rub your nose in it uh, attitude by many of them who are the most active of them. Uh, my classes and, and the classes, most classes in the university are based on merit, mine or merit, fairness, equality, respect. Uh, we've always had a big tent kind of uh, thing where you respect people for who they are, for their inherent humanity. Um, and, uh, uh, and everyone is treated virtually the same. I mean, everyone has the same opportunity. That's, that's the idea. Um, so this, um, this type, this new ethos that you've just described, uh, this aggressiveness and this forcing of this type of agenda and this enabling of, and, uh, attacking or targeting very vulnerable and confused college students and then providing this, uh, nurturing uh, environment of trust. I, it's fake trust. I am always suspicious, and I encourage students to be as well, of folks who are desperate to have your trust, desperate for you to trust them and to uh, listen to what they have to say, disclose to them your uh, your story. Um, this is usually perpetrated on the campuses by saying, hey, we're going to have a safe space here. We're going to have a safe space <laughs> where you can reveal anything to me. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, they do this at the elementary school and high school levels too, but you're not supposed to tell your parents about it. It's a, oh, it's a safe space. You can, this, this is the idea of drive a wedge between, between the kid and the parent. Uh, in the colleges, it's, oh, we want to, we want to provide a safe space where you can feel free to divulge your secrets to, to, uh, all of this. You know, I tell students, look, if someone is desperate, especially these bureaucrat, these bureau, mediocre bureaucrats who have no business teaching anything, if they're hankering to get you to trust them, they want you to disclose. I say, you take down your name, start recording or get the heck out one or the other. Okay. Because these are the people who do not deserve your trust for any, you know, in any capacity. Um, so that's, and I saw, I talk about this in, in, in brutal minds that this is one of the red flags that you should watch for when you're on the college campus. You can, you can put a stick in the spokes of this, uh, this engine of brainwashing. These people are not really bold people. They're not brave people. Um, and, and, and all you have to do is really just to stand up to them and, and call them out on their thinly educated background. Uh, to, to get uh, to get uh, them to back off, but most students are not going to do that. Uh, you, know, you mentioned uh, safe zones. Uh, I, one of the uh, law universities, I believe it was Harvard. Now I might be wrong. When the uh, latest ruling came out from Supreme Court on affirmative action, they put out a, a little pressure saying that if any attorneys need to find a safe space to <laughs> contemplate over the the final ruling of affirmative, affirmative action, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know that if I knew one of an attorney that I used had to go find him or her, herself a safe zone to feel bad about a constitutional ruling from SCOTUS that basically corrected something on around affirmative action, I'm not sure that I'd want to put that particular attorney on retainer. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I, I, oh, I do. I tell you, I'm, I'd be willing to offer a safe space for some young man who hit the beach at Normandy uh, and, and spent the first Absolutely. six days there and and, and, had, and needed a little time off. You've got that. Yeah. But, a, but a Supreme Court ruling that makes a, a lawyer uh, weep and, and tremble with the trepidation. That, that, I'm not sure I want that nervous. attorney. This yeah. makes me nervous. Well, Stan, you mentioned in your book, and, and let's start wrapping things up because uh, I know you're busy and I take I truly appreciate you taking time to be with me today. You mentioned red flags. Yeah. Are there certain things that 
moms and dads and students actually should sit back and say, okay, if this is going on, then I should be aware of this. If this is going on, I should be aware of that. I think there was five specific red flags that you had mentioned. Uh, let's wrap the show up and, and let you go through those red flags that, you know, will hopefully wake people up and say, my kid just came home from college, or maybe there's a kid, a student in, in, in a particular college, and all of a sudden he or she starts seeing these things, a red flag should go up and say, this is not good. I should be walking away from this. Okay, well, well, the first red flag is is uh, one of those things where everyone's got smiles, everyone's happy, and everything that you do is just wonderful. You're just an amazing human being for just being here. This is what cults do. It's called a love bombing. Uh, you'll everyone. Oh, your voice is beautiful. You should be a singer. Your jokes are incredibly funny. You have an incredible style the way you dress. Uh, oh, well, hold hands, everyone. Oh, look at Jim. Look at look at look at Murray. Isn't he wonderful? Everyone, that kind of thing, which is designed to make you feel like more welcome and more included and loved than, than you ever have in your entire life. It's designed to put you off, and it should be off-putting, but for a different reason. Two, you should be wary of games that are designed. There's a whole bunch of these games. I provide a. a, a uh, a resource how to get to these games and see the list of them some are low risk medium risk high risk games that they play to try to get people to reveal information about themselves the privilege game or the privilege walk is one of those games fishbowl is another all of them are designed to get you disclosing information um, and at, they're really interrogations you don't you know these are questions that you wouldn't submit to if you were given a form to answer you say, well, get out of here i'm not going to answer these questions but in the context of a revelation game that's fun and trust and self-disclosure you might be tempted to do that the use of strange vernacular strange language like transgression and interrogation uh we're going to unpack the issues here we're going to talk about emancipation and liberation uh there's a whole vernacular and lingo that goes with this idea of critical consciousness we're going to open up the world of hidden to, of hidden knowledge to you uh we don't want you talking to your parents uh, uh why you're in this initial transition stage right we don't we don't want you talking to your parents in other words we don't want any uh, dissonance for the message that we're trying we're trying to to give you anywhere the words social justice or social justice education are used boom their brainwash is in effect i told you the name of the book teaching diversity and social justice this is what they learn they learn how to not teach they learn how to impose a subtle psychological manipulation of brainwash that is designed to attack your sense of self uh, attack the sense of identity to dislodge it and make room for the changed belief system. And so those are some of the red flags. I give a number of others uh, in, in the book. I also talk about what we can do to deprogram university administrators who are in the process or in the, the business of applying this uh, this type of this type of brainwash. I will also also say that much of what these brainwashers do is Quite frankly, prima facie illegal. If they're soliciting personal information and reporting it without getting your permission, that's that's against the law. So they should be required, and students should say, "Hey, where's my where's my um, uh, consent form? I need to sign a consent form for this, don't I?" Uh, 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 well, if if there's no consent form, then you say, "Hey, I'm out of here," and I advise all of you to get out as well. These folks are up to no good. Um, if it doesn't smell right, doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, it's probably not right. These people do not have your best interest in heart. Stan, I appreciate it. Like I said, I thank you for taking time out of your schedule. 
We'll wrap this show up. Uh, let people know that I will be providing a link to uh, Stan's book. Uh, I highly suggest that you get yourself a copy of it and read it. It will open up your eyes. Uh, it did mine. I mean, I study uh, education. It's a big part of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, trying to make sure that school systems are doing the right thing. And it opened my eyes up to some things that I truly was not aware of. You know, Stan, once again, thank you for joining me on the show. And it's been wonderful. I think you've done some wonderful educational information. Uh, hopefully some moms and dads who listen to the show will go, I think I better get uh, Sam and Sally off to the side and we need to talk just a little bit. Yeah. Back to school gift. That's what I'd like to say. Right. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Mike. So there you have it, my friends. Yes, there is brainwashing going on amongst the college ranks. And as parents, you should keep a close eyes on your students, especially those who are soon to be starting their freshman year. The wolves are waiting and pondering on how they plan to persuade young minds of those who are acceptable. As bad as it seems, though, some people in states are starting to wake up. Just recently, a large donor of Arizona State University, who had donated millions of dollars to the university, pulled his $400,000 pledge due to some left-wing activities that were occurring on campus. And states across the country are starting to pass legislation that bans the diversity, equity, and inclusion programs that are driving much of this activity. But that's not enough. You must get involved at all levels of the education process to bring awareness to the people around you and hold the elected officials in your area accountable to stop this brainwashing of our students. Until next time, this is Murray Edwards, and this has been The Washington Effect.